Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hello, welcome to VAO at the Bar, episode 13. My name is Chris, and who am I with to- today? I'm Ant. And I'm Dan. How are you both? Yeah, can't complain. You know, same stuff, different day. Has it changed, has it? No. Nope, doing very well here, thanks. Yourself, Chris? Good. Yeah, yeah, not too bad, thank you. You enjoyed the football then, the little international break? No. Nope. Ups and downs. <laughs> didn't watch down any of it, and quite glad I didn't, to be honest. Okay, so is everyone looking forward to domestic football? It's the weekend of the derbies. Yeah, we'll stuff yeah. them. Rebound. Well, <laughs> what about you, Dan? What about you against Villa? What do you reckon? Uh, <laughs> off the press. It's a bit apprehensive, to be honest. They're looking pretty good, aren't they, Villa? Yeah, it'd be a tricky one. I think we need Madison back. We need a ball carrier. It's Villa. Okay. Forward to the Merseyside derby. Top of the t- yes. I mean, Dominic Calvin Lewis has got to stop scoring at some point. So I think it'll be this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> this weekend against the team that let in seven last week. Yeah, that was that was a one-off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see with that one. I think it'd be a bit end to end. I think so. Not just Calvin Lewis, but Hammers, Rodriguez, Richarlison. It's a great front line, isn't it? It'll be nil-nil now, won't it? <laughs> Just let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> then obviously over the board, across the border, there's the old firm derby as well. With no fans, that would be a, a bit of an odd odd thing as well for them. Yeah, it would look like Scottish second division football again, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, and so this week's episode, we've got uh, the good, the bad, obscure. We've got Dan deputising for me on War Not Watch. Have you got some good things ready for me? Yeah, should be good. I've, good. I've got a few bits if uh, Dan doesn't Ooh. cover them. Oh, that's good. A joint effort. And then you've got a quiz by me at the end. And in between, it's the top 10 second leg comebacks in any European competition in its history. 
And also, with it being the 13th episode and coming up to Halloween, we're doing our top five ritual slash superstitions. I'll start with the good, bad, obscure. Well, this person I've got first came to fruition as an Arsenal youth product. His first goal came in the FA Cup in 2004. I remember it very vaguely with a fantastic chip from um, just outside the box. Um, he he came came through at the sort of time when Arsenal were did the invincible season, but couldn't really get any games for them. So the next season he went on loan to Norwich, had twenty six appearances, two goals, but unfortunately that didn't stop him getting relegated. You know yet, guys. No. No? no. Carlos Bella? No, no. He put in a transfer request wanting first-team football, but unfortunately it came to light as well that he lost his enjoyment of football and unfortunately had a bit of a gambling addiction as well from further interviews. He went on loan to Blackburn, but then was made permanent in January 2006. Was it David Bentley? David Bentley. Yes, well done. <laughs> One point there to you, Dan. On his per, uh, Premier League debut, he scored a hat-trick in a 4-3 win against Man United. That season actually finished sixth and got UEFA UEFA uh, Cup place. Um, he was also, fascinating fact, the first Englishman to score a goal at the new Wembley in an under-21 match in a 3 all draw. Whilst he was at um, Blackburn, he was actually tipped to become the new David Beckham, in the words of Steve McLaren. There's <laughs> a kiss of death. <laughs> yeah, as, as, this, as the giggles were going around. Um, he, he did actually say his right foot is pretty similar to David's. He's got a great touch, great feel on the ball, and he can deliver a pass. Um, in 2008, he was voted Blackburn's Player of the Year. And actually made his debut for England under McLaren. Then a move from Blackburn to Spurs for 15 million in 2008. You got to remember he's only 23 years old. It sounds like he's been been around for ages at this time. And he was actually signed on a six-year contract. His first goal for Spurs was a 40-yard volley in a four-wheel draw with Arsenal. But, but after that, it didn't really work out. I think um, Harry Redknapp didn't particularly fancy him. Uh, he had loan spells after that at Birmingham, West Ham. Then he went all the way to Russia, to Rostov, and then back to Blackburn. And unfortunately, none of them really worked out. And at the ripe old age of 29, he actually retired, saying he had fallen out of, out of love with football, called the modern game robotic, due to the influence of social media and money, as well as predictable and a bit too calculated. And he wanted to spend time, more time with his kids. Now, he, um, he's done a lot of investments now. He's in a restaurant um, business, and he owns one called La Salsa in Chigwell, Essex, as well as a few more bars and restaurants around there. I think some other players have co-ownership on that. I think Raheem Sterling has, from what I read. And he also 
has invested money in a commercial cleaning company, an accounting firm, and he has recently, which was about a year ago, um, launched a bespoke flooring company called GFF Bentley and Howe. I just found it quite interesting that how somebody just decided to call call it, you know, quit. So, you know, not quite near the end of his career, probably midway through a lot of people's career, and has actually fell in out of love with football. And uh, that's why I put him in in this week's Good, Bad, Obscure. You got any other comments to add on to that? No, other than it's a good one. Yeah, it's a strange one why he died so young. It wasn't injury-related. No, no, he just um, just didn't, didn't wanted to get out of football. And for so many people that want to get into football, I just found it a bit of a, a sort of a role reversal, wasn't it? And somebody who didn't actually like what, what particularly was doing near the end of his career, obviously. Another former Premiership player at the ripe old age of 29 has joined the Sunday League team. Oh, yeah, who's that? Niall Ranger. Really? Yeah, he's joined some Sunday League club. Well, I think he's got one for the good, the bad, the obscure, that guy. <laughs> I think I've ruined it now, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll cut that out. He's off the field. Um, <laughs> he's off the field antics, well known at St. James's Park, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Not just there, I think. Everywhere. Uh, South End, I think, as well, was it? Yeah. <laughs> right then. To our next segment that we've got. Um, and that is top 10 second leg comebacks in all European competition. And we've actually had a bit of um, social input as well. Quick shout out. So got one here from the EPL Boys podcast. That was Liverpool versus Barcelona. 4-0 is the best one hands down. That's what they say. That's a good one. Um, Chris Kelly has then put um, when Milan were a very good side but Deportivo were almost unplayable at the home ground some team 15 years ago and also Middlesbrough also had memorable fight backs on their way to the UEFA Cup final in 2006 I think overturning big deficits against Basel and Star Bucharest I do remember that one. I think that was Macaroni. And I think that will probably be on the list. Uh, And then the next couple of ones we've got is from Victory and Vice's podcast. Uh, Number three for them was Man United against PSG last year. Number two, that was Liverpool against Barcelona last year. And number one was Barcelona against PSG in 2017. Uh, and then I've got Cathedral of Sport Park podcast, and they've just and they've put Fulham against Juventus. And then the last one I've got is um, Rodney McCain, and he's put that in 1999, after 20 odd minutes in Turin, it was Juventus two, Man United nil. Uh, Man United were looked like they were out. The treble bid, bid was all over. Fast forward it an hour. And it was Juventus 2, Man United 3. Roy Keane had the game of his life. Uh, Zidane less Juventus had no answer. Magnificent. Right then, who wants to start? I'll give it to... Um, as he's got the cup winners, cup ones. You're <laughs> number 10, please, mate, if that's all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not starting with the cup winners, cup winners one, though. 
I'm starting with the uh, 1984-85 UEFA Cup second round, Partizan Belgrade versus QPR. Probably, I think this is the last time they were in Europe. So, uh, they they used to play their home games at Highbury because they had a artificial pitch. So, they, they beat Belgrade 6-2 at Highbury. Um, but the moment they arrived in um, Belgrade, they got pelted with coins, pelted with ball bearings. It was quite obvious that the players were a bit shaken by this. They were 1-0 down after five minutes. And they managed to hold on until the 40th minute. And two further goals before the 64th minute meant that unless QPR scored, Partizan went through. Um, they they didn't. And they went out. Partizan went through. Good start. But, yeah, I thought it was a good start. You know, it's not very often teams six two up and they uh, concede. Right then, Dan. What about your number ten there, buddy? All right, my number ten. I've gone for a European Cup match in nineteen sixty one between Tottenham and Gornik Zabrizi. So in this match, Tottenham were four 0 down in the away leg, but they fought back to lose four two in the end. And in the home leg, they managed to win 8 1. <laughs> they won 10 5 on aggregate, coming back from 4 0 down. Wow, that's impressive, that is. And where was the country from? Where is the country? Poland. Poland. That's good. It's a good one to start off with there. My one is Lexos SC versus FC Le Charu de Fond. That's in 1961. Can you read that again, please, Chris? <laughs> yes. Lay shows. Lay shows. Versus La Chau de Fonds. Yeah, versus oh, yeah, FC La Chau de Have you got that as number, number eight? Number eight, yeah. What about you? Have you got this one? I didn't put it on my top ten, but it definitely caught my eye, this one. Yeah, so first leg, 6-2. Went to the Swiss, Swiss team, the Chau de Fonds. And then um, eventually went back to Portugal and they won 5-0. Two goals in the first half, then three uh, in the second half. Um, last one coming on the 71st minute, which then sent them through. Uh, Lejos on a second-tier team now in Portugal. And um, Le Champ de Fond is a Division Four Swiss team now. Have you got anything else to add on to that at all? Uh, no, no, <laughs> that's good. Okay. I was hoping I wouldn't have to pronounce it, but if, if I'd known you were going to uh, use that one, I would have started with it. <laughs> <laughs> Even by your standards, Chris, you made a dog's dinner out of that one. <laughs> oh, thanks, I'm not even sure I've said it correctly, but <laughs> I apologize to any fans that are listening to this about that. Fans from where? One was from uh, Portugal, <laughs> one was from Switzerland. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Okay, uh, back to Ant then. You're number nine, please, mate. Uh, okay, so I've gone um, Champions League 1999, Man United versus Juventus. Okay. I don't know if anyone had this one. No. No, I didn't, actually. So it was one all at the first leg, uh, thanks to a late Ryan Giggs goal. However, uh, Inzaghi put Juventus 2-0 up at Old Trafford within, within 11 minutes. And shortly after that, Roy Keane got yellow carded, which meant that he had missed the final if he didn't get through. Uh, and then that suddenly seemed to spur Keane on. And a lot of people think it's probably his best ever performance. 
So he scored a header and then he set up Dwight York and uh, Andy Cole to complete the comeback. So we all know they went on to win the trophy with another comeback. Yeah. Yes. Can't really remember that very well. Who scored the winning goal again? Can't remember no, his name. Is he manager somewhere now? I think so. Small team, small team. Right then, Dan, what have you got for us, mate? Uh, number nine. It's a 1985 UEFA Cup tie between Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Okay. So the first leg, Mönchengladbach won at home 5-1 against Madrid. But in the return leg, Madrid actually won 4-0 and got to an 89th minute winner at the Bernabeu. It was a pretty epic comeback. It was, uh, it was considered by me. <laughs> As, as were many games. <laughs> <laughs> right, then. My number nine. I went with uh, Derby versus Real Madrid. That was uh, in 1975. Did anyone else have this one? No. Again, it was uh, considered. Was it? First leg ended up 4-1 uh, to Derby. Um, second leg at the Bernabeu. Um, early goal. Um, by Martinez the derby held out actually until um, half time at 1-0 and then two more goals by uh, Real which put them 3-0 up then uh, George brought one back um, for derby so Charlie George I think he's in the first leg as well then Paris scored on the 83rd minute to then level it up at on aggregate 4-1. It went to, to extra time and then um, Tantillada then actually scored the winner. He actually came back and um, said afterwards that the Bernabeu, if you like the match, it burns everything. I don't know yeah. what that, that quite meant, but it sounded good anyway. So I did that on. And uh, that actually put them through um, on aggregate and obviously sent Derby back in. So that's my number nine. Enough. Right then, number eight, please, mate. Uh, I've got the uh, Portuguese versus Swiss team you've already talked about. Do you want to, do you want to repeat the names for <laughs> Les Shows versus La Chau de Fonds. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dan? <laughs> All right, number eight, I've gone for a Europa League match from 2010 between Fulham and Juventus. Oh, I completely forgot about that one. So after the first leg, Juventus were winners 3-1. That was at home for Juventus. In return leg at Craven Cottage, uh, David Trezeguet actually scored for Juventus after two minutes. So they're winning 4-1 on aggregate. But then Fulham got an equaliser from Bobby Zamora on, after nine minutes. And the turning point in the match was Cannavaro got sent off on the 27-minute mark. And then goals from Zoltan Gira and Clint Dempsey made it 4-1 to Followed by the end. The interesting fact about that game is that Juventus actually had their third choice goalkeeper that night. It was only his second game, and the, his previous game, the week before against Siena, they also blew a three goal lead. No, really? Wow. <laughs> right then. Uh, my number eight is Leeds versus Stuttgart, 1992 93 season. This is a bit of a crazy game, to be honest, because First leg went to Stuttgart in Germany. And they were on 3-0. Then goals from 
back at Ellen Road from Gary Speed, Gary McAllister, Cantona, and uh, Lee Chapman put the put Leeds 4 0 up. But, the, but Stuttgart did get an away goal by Andreas Buck. However, the Stuttgart uh, manager put on a player called Jovo Semenak. Uh, with that, they actually breached. You know, they had the old laws where you could only have three European players. So that was the fourth one that they put on the pitch. Fancy if that happened nowadays. There'd be no, no European. <laughs> so basically, the, the game was abandoned. So UEFA made the decision to play a one-off game. Leeds just wanted to be put straight through, but that was not allowed. So they had a one-off game. The UEFA picked the new Camp. And obviously, this was done in quite short notice. And as we all know, the new Camp holds like 90,000 people. Well, there was only 6,000 people there that sold tickets. So it didn't really particularly go to any of the locals either. And uh, the, the neutral venue wasn't particularly probably too good for either side. Leeds actually won that game, uh, 2-1, with a certain Carl Schutt scoring the winner. Uh, and an interesting fact is, I think that season was uh, when they came 17th in the first ever season of the Premier League as well. Because obviously they won the season, they won the league, didn't they? About the last way of the old division one. Right then, uh, go on then and throw us your number seven. My number seven, uh, Middlesbrough versus Stoya Bucharest in 2006 UEFA Cup. Yeah, that's my number seven as well. Great minds. So obviously Stoya were one up from the first leg. They then go to the Riverside and they go 2 0 up. Uh, Southgate goes off injured, so McLaren sends on Massimo Macaroni. Remember him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling he might feature sometime on Good, the Bad, the Obscure. Um, <laughs> Borough then hauled back two more goals through Viduka and Rigat. And then they still needed one more. And right at the death, Macaroni popped up for a second to head, in, uh, head Borough to their first ever Euro final, which I think they oh. lost to Seville, didn't they? Uh, got, yeah, lost 4 0. Yeah. And I remember watching it live on Channel 5. Who I think I did as well. I remember it. Yeah. Who missed those, those nights? The ITV and Channel 5 to watch European football. Channel 5 with John Barnes. That's the one. Massively missed, isn't it? Right then, Dan. Go on then with your uh, number seven. All right, number seven. I've gone for 1984 Cup Winners' Cup match between Barcelona and Mets. I have it at number one. Wow. wow, okay. Okay. I thought I'd be controversial when we have that, that number one. I haven't got them on the list, so. Oh. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you do that one later. Right? All right. Yeah. All right, no worries. So, my seven was the Middlesbrough game. So, Ant, your number six, please. Me again. Um, it is. Six. Ajax versus Spurs last year. Oh, okay. So obviously Ajax were one nil up from the first leg, um, and they went two 0 up on the night. They thought that was game over then, and then uh, up steps a certain Mister Lucas Moura, and he scores a hat trick. One of them coming in the ninety sixth minute, and uh, yeah, Spurs went through. Oh, it was the day after uh, another certain comeback, which might get spoken about at some point. <laughs> I remember watching it. I'm watching the first half and Spurs weren't even in, in the game. And then obviously they brought more on and it just absolutely changed it. A good Ajax team as well. A good young Ajax team that 
We're just tearing yeah. Tottenham to shreds. Moy were just, you know, became a one-man team. Yeah, I thought that Tottenham were, they sucker punched them really well, didn't they? I thought Ajax yeah. were the better team on the night, but Tottenham were just lethal, weren't they, on the break? It was um, the the second goal did them though, didn't it? Did it mentally and physically? They just looked drained after that. And then when they... right, and Harry Kane didn't play that game, did he? No, no. And that's what the the whole um, controversy in the final was, wasn't it? Because he wasn't really fit, and they wanted more more than Pochettino didn't pick him, put him on the bench. Oh, well, what, what, what a shame that was! <laughs> oh, yeah, it was massively. And if only Sissoko didn't stick that leg out on 50 seconds, it could have been totally different. Anyway, Dan, what was, what's your uh, is number six? All right, number six. I've gone for a European Cup match from 1986 between Bayer Erdingen and Dynamo Dresden. Did this one feature on either of your lists? I I'll saw it. Thanks. You can't skip every go, mate. You have to go. No, I won't. So um, on this one, so West Germany versus East Germany in the European Cup. And Dynamo Dresden, the East German team, they won the first leg 2-1. 2-0. Sorry. And in the second leg, in, they were 3-1 up at half-time. So they were winning 5-1 on aggregate at half-time. But then I don't know what happened in that second half because I've not seen the game. But Erdinger, they won 7-3 in the end, 7-5 on aggregate. So how they turned that round from being 3-1 down to winning 7-3, it's a bit of an unbelievable comeback. Very good. Anything to add there, or was that about everything? No, that was about it. And the only thing I had was that the one of Dresden's players scored an own goal, and his name was Minge. <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh. That should be the first point. Dan, I, I feel <laughs> like you didn't know this one. <laughs> no, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> Right then, my one is um, Monaco Real Madrid. Did anyone have that one from uh, back on 2003-04 season, Champions uh, League? No, uh, uh, it was another one that was considered. Yeah. Um, so obviously, first leg, uh, Real won four two. They actually took the lead in the second leg. Uh, lovely ball by uh, Ronaldo linked up fantastically with uh, Raúl to bang it into the top corner. Then uh, Monaco gave themselves a bit of a chance for the goal by Aguli. Then, because a certain Fernando Morientes then scored a great header. And then Aguli then scored like a great little cheeky back heel, which then uh, gave them the win on away goals. I mean, if you looked at, at Real's team, just the midfield had Guti, Zidane and Figo. And then the forward line was Ronaldo and Raul against, at that time, a young Monaco team, which, after that run, got pretty much dismantled. Um, I think it had Evera in it, and, like I said, Morientes then went back to Real. Uh, I'll put that one as um, as my number six. What about you, Ant, number five? Uh, back to the Cup Winners' Cup for me. First round, hmm. uh, FC Porto versus Wrexham in 1984. Wow, you did some good digging there, mate. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this one. No, no. So I'm, I'm, amazed, Chris. I'm disappointed in you, mate, being well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so bear with me. So Wrexham were actually lucky to be in this competition because they didn't win the Welsh Cup that season. Shrewsbury won it. 
That shows me I'm Welsh. So the runners-up went in instead. The, the question is, why was a non-Welsh team in the Welsh Cup? But we'll, we'll move on from that's that. Another day. That's another night. Um, so Porto, I mean, we all know they've always been a good side. And Wrexham went to Porto. Uh, Porto had a team containing seven of the players who had been the team that beat that had been in the previous year's final. Um, plus a young Paolo Futra, if you've ever heard of him. Yeah. So obviously, you know, they, they outplayed Wrexham the whole game, but the Welsh side hung on. They actually won the first leg, uh, 1-0 in the end, thanks to Jim Steele's bullet header. Um, so then they all went over to Portugal, and there have been 4,900 fans in Wales watching this game. It's 40,000 packed into this Estadio da Santas in Porto. Anyway, Porto went into a 3-0 lead after 38 minutes. But Wrexham managed to pull two back just for half-time. Futra then put them back in command of the goal just after the second half. And then Barry Horn, know him? Yeah, Exeterton. Popped up in the the dying minutes and made it 4-3. And uh, Wrexham went through on away goals. That's a great find, Dan. Didn't even see that anywhere. I can't remember where I found that. That's an absolute gem. Especially mentioning Jeff Gap, Barry Horn as well. <laughs> True Welsh legend. Right then, Dan, uh, you're on number five, please, mate. Yeah, I'm probably not doing this in a bar. I'll probably get pelted with something. But number five for me, I've gone for the Liverpool versus Milan final. Okay, okay. That's okay. Who likes it? Yeah, it's okay. We'll, we'll let that one go. We'll let it go. At least it means no one else has got it, so... Oh, fair enough. Uh, well, yeah, I just went for um, one of the biggest comebacks on the biggest stages. Liverpool 3-0 down against Milan. And, um, yeah, I did not not realising that I'd broken the rules of this. Um, the, one of the reasons I put it so high on the list is that it wasn't a comeback on home turf. It was at a neutral venue, which uh, I thought was quite impressive. 3-0 down at half-time, out, thoroughly outplayed by Milan, uh, one of the great teams at the time. And... I don't think anyone really saw that coming at half-time. Uh, a t- Liverpool team with Steve Finnan and Jimmy Triorian, and they fought back to 3 all. Hey, don't go knocking Steve Finnan. Yeah, that, that is a very odd final, that was, wasn't it? I watched it. It was on ITV recently, and I watched yeah. it. I, I, always, I always thought Liverpool were absolutely battered in the first half, and yes, they were. Milan were the better team, but Liverpool did have chances in the first half. Like, quite good chances as well. Not many. But it, it could have been three all at half time. It could have been eight three at half time. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. If, if you had a chance straight after the first goal, yeah, get ahead of um, the chance I had. And then obviously Harry Kuehl did his famous um, injury after 20 minutes, which might have changed things if he stayed on. <laughs> Rafa knows best. But no, it was it was pretty it was a pretty immense. If you look at sort of AC Milan's starting lineup to. Like uh, Dan mentioned, we did have a few. There was a few um, suspect names that were, especially on the back line, which got quite badly exposed um, first half. But no, that's a very good one, Dan. Well done, mate. Okay, my number five I've gone with is Liverpool Barcelona last year. That's got to be higher for some of you, are we the same? I had it at number two. Okay. I've got it at number three. Number three. Thank you. Shall we all talk about it now? Yeah. Yeah, is that all right? 
watching the first leg, they, they lost three 0 I thought I watched the game and I thought that it was quite even until sort of they conceded two very late goals. I think a messy free kick was one of them. Obviously came to Anfield. I mean, what made it great really was because uh, there was no Bobby or Mo Salah playing, was there? So they had Origi playing and um, Shakiri, and an early goal by by Origi, which was um, then possibly one of the best subs that you ever see. That I think Ronaldo came on for an injured Andy Robertson, and he bagged in two almost identical goals both from headers um, to then level it. And then there's the famous Trent quick-thinking corner, which I still look and I still can't fathom how Barcelona was so slack on not looking, not seeing that come in. And Origi scored. I mean, it's a, it a great fight back. But I thought when I started the game and the, get, the first goal came so soon... I thought this is a this is the sort of standard Liverpool comeback. Get an early goal, and then I thought if they could get a second before half time, it it would have would have stand a chance. But obviously that to wait until about the fifty fourth minute, I think, to get that goal, and then two quick goals just sort of had Barcelona on the plate. Really, I don't think Alisson had to make a save in that game. Any more that you guys want to add to that? I was just going to say that the reason I put it at number two was because. Liverpool didn't have Salah and Firmino. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if if Liverpool had them playing at the start, everyone probably would expect that they might have scored four goals against Barcelona without reply. But to do it without them and have a really up front, it makes it uh, that little bit more special. Yeah. I thought in the first leg that Liverpool played pretty well. And they were very unlucky to lose that 3-0. They, um, they believed they could do it. And uh, they earned it, didn't they? Fantastic. A team like Barcelona scoring is quite incredible. I'll put that lower because the ones I've got higher are, to be fair, probably more detrimental against Barcelona (laughs) over the last two or three years, to be honest. (laughs) So any Barcelona fans probably be best not to listen to the next 15 minutes. It could be quite quite painful, but I did think it was a great fight back, and I I just got some slightly better ones above. But I totally appreciate that you put that. At, at, was it two and three? Yeah, yeah, yeah three for me. Yeah, good, good. Uh, okay, and number four, mate. Uh, four. I had uh, Bayer Erdingen versus Dresden, which Dan's already spoken about. Oh, great! Oh, yeah, of course. Um, what about you, Dan? So uh, this one might be on your list, Chris. I've gone for Roma versus Barcelona. Yes, it is. Of course. That is my number number three, mate, actually. Okay. Do you want to start it off then, Dan, and I'll add on if there's anything else? Yeah, no problem. So this was a Champions League quarterfinal from 2018. In the first leg, Barcelona won... 4-1 at home. In the second leg, Roma managed to win 3-0 with goals from Dzeko, penalty from De Rossi and a winner from Manolas, the defender, in eight, after the 82-minute mark. So yeah, incredible fight back after being 4-1 down to Barcelona. And Roma were rank outsiders for that. No one saw this one coming. In 2018, that was a pretty decent Barcelona team as well. Yeah, that was a real shock comeback at the time. 
Totally agree with you, mate. Um, again, Alisson wasn't even troubled in the whole game. That was the, the, the shock element. I think they they probably thought they had it in the bag already. And then Roma, like you said about Liverpool, were just absolutely relentless that game. And, and De Rossi as well, turning back the years. I mean, you've got to remember, De Rossi was about 33 at that time. And he was still, he just absolutely ran the show and bullied, bullied them. But yeah, I mean, I'll never forget Peter Drury from uh, BT Sport. And uh, he, when the goal went in, he went absolutely mad. And he goes, Roma have been risen from their ruins. <laughs> <laughs> ruins of Rome. Oh, I love a bit of Peter Drury. Yeah, bless him. He went absolutely berserk. But it was a real shock because you just didn't expect it, did you? And then they gave Liverpool a bit of a scare in the semis as well, didn't they? <laughs> so, well, my number four is Liverpool versus Borussia Dortmund. You ready for cock? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have have that one down, lads, or um, did you take a sidestep with that? No, I didn't put it down, actually. What about you, Ant? No, I didn't actually have it down either. I'm not sure why. It was another one that I remember, a Channel 5... One, it was I think Klopp's one of I think it's Klopp's first season, and um, literally the first leg won all at Dortmund, and then Dortmund took a, a lead, two 0 lead to Mkhitaryan and um, Abanyaman, two goals in the first ten minutes, Abs- absolutely mad. I mean, it could have been about four all or something like that half time. Then Origi pulled one back, and then Ruiz scored a quite brilliant goal with his left foot. And then um, Coutinho then made it um, 3-2 on the night. And then Mr. Sacco, Mohamed Sacco, came in from a corner. And then um, Dejan Lovren goes and pops up on injury time and scores a winner, which sends Anfield into absolute delight. I remember the last, last 10 minutes that Liverpool just frightened them. It was like um, men versus boys. They couldn't get the ball out there in half. And I think that's the 12th man, the, the Anfield field, uh, fans as well, the supporters, just absolutely pushed Liverpool forward so much. Klopp, Klopp then said on an interview afterwards, he said, you can feel it, hear it, smell it. And he sort of compared it to the, the win that Liverpool had at Istanbul in 2005. Um, unfortunately, obviously, that didn't lead to any silverware, but we got to the final lost to Seville in epic fashion. <laughs> it's a running trend, this. <laughs> okay, number three. and I've gone for Barcelona. Yeah. Versus Paris Saint-Germain. Okay. I imagine it's a bit higher on your list. Uh, it's numero uno on mine. Number be. one for me as well. Yeah, it's fair enough. I thought it might be. I'll, I'll save that one then for you too. Okay, no worries. Um, Dan? My number three was actually the Liverpool-Barcelona game, which we talked about. Yeah, no worries. And mine was um, Barcelona-Roma. So, straight to you, back. And I had Liverpool-Barcelona, so off to Dan again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number two. I've got one we've not talked about so far. I've gone for a Champions League quarter-final from 2004. Deportivo La Coruña versus AC Milan. Great minds, mate. Oh, that's my number two as well. (laughs) 
It was my special mention, so you're saving their job at that. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we went for this one. Uh, after the first leg, Milan won out winners 4-1. But then in the return fixture, Deportivo La Coruña managed to win 4-0. Uh, pulled off a miraculous turnaround. And the reason why this is so high on my list is that it's the it's this AC Milan team from 2004. Ancelotti was in charge. Uh, they finished second in Serie A that season. The following year, they met Liverpool in the Champions League final. It was a very strong team. And it was just an incredible turnaround to beat them on the part of Deportivo. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, their manager said it was almost mission impossible, but we gave a sensational first half display to give the three goals we needed to get us through. I mean, you look at the, like Dan said, the Milan players, I couldn't just list four or five, but Inzaghi, Pirlo, Seedorf, Kaka. And even had um, Martin Lawson on the bench. Oh yeah, your fave. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, even one of the goal scorers for Deportivo was an Albert Luque, ex-Newcastle. We moved to Newcastle and that didn't quite go too well. Maybe you should have stayed at Deportivo. That's my number two as well. Right then, to the number ones. So, have we talked about yours already, Anne? No, we haven't. Um, Dan mentioned it, he had it somewhere, but we haven't talked about it. Cool, let's talk about it then. No. Uh, so, yeah, I've gone for Barcelona versus Mets in the 1984 Cup Winners' Cup first round. I love the Cup Winners' Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you found this information out. <laughs> I don't either, to be honest. You're Rex and Porter. Genuinely, I couldn't tell you where I got that from. So, the, uh, I put this one at number one purely to be a bit different and purely because no one saw this coming. Um, Mets lost the home leg 4-2 and... No French TV station or newspaper didn't even want to cover the return leg because they thought it was pointless. They thought Barcelona were going to thrash them. So anyway, they went to um, they went to New Camp, and their league form going into this was they lost six nil to Bordeaux and seven nil to Monaco. Anyway, and then following following the first leg, Bernd Schuster, remember him? We spoke about him a few times. Yeah, we know very well. The next players some ham when they come to our place, to thank them for the presence they gave us tonight. That was after the first leg. So anyway, Mets went to New Camp. They went 1-0 down on the night. The comeback started in the 38th minute with a fluky Tony Kerbos goal. Uh, it's quickly followed by a Barcelona run goal. And then 10 minutes into the second half, Kerbos struck again. And then he got his hat-trick and Mets his winner on the 85th minute and promptly ran over to Schuster and said, where's your hand now? <laughs> I love that story. Uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was it was so different, so unexpected, so different. Uh, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to put it at number one. Especially going in with that league form as well. No goals and 13 goals conceded. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, incredible. I didn't know that. The league form is so bad. That's incredible. I Good bit of research there, there, mate. Um, okay then, Dan. So we've got Barca PSG as our number ones. Yes. I'll let you start it off and I'll add anything else on if needed. So, yeah, the first leg, it was a pretty epic 4-0 smashing by Paris Saint-Germain. And quite frankly, that in itself was a bit of a shock. Uh, We knew that Paris Saint-Germain were going to be up for it on home home ground, but to blow Barcelona away like that was 
not really expected. But uh, there was talk going into the return leg. Can Barcelona do it? Would it be the best, one, of, one of the most epic comebacks of all time? And they went for it. They were 2-0 up at half-time. Goals from Suarez and an own goal from Kazawa. Uh, in the 50th minute, they got a penalty, which Messi took away. And then they struggled to break down Paris Saint-Germain, who got everyone behind the ball, protecting their lead. And then Cavani hit them on the break. They had a two-goal cushion. Uh, this stayed like it till the 88th minute when Neymar scored. He got a penalty in the 91st minute. And then Roberto got the winner in the 95th minute, making it 6-1 on the night. I remember that. And um, it was a bit of a bizarre game because Cavani hit the post just after Messi's penalty. Then he actually got them right down the break. But it was such a soft penalty for the for the actual their equal for Barcelona's equaliser. Mm. Yeah, and Roberto, I mean, that was a great volley he scored, kept it down, a lot of people described it. But what a ball by Neymar. I mean, you know, the guy's got great talent. I mean, the only thing I can really add to it is that Luis Enrique said this is dedicated to all the players. This isn't the hard and grove trotter. This is football. <laughs> Standard sort of Spanish way of looking at things, I think. And then thing that set off the Neymar move, I think a lot of people said, because it actually gave Messi a lot of the credit the journalists did and not enough for him. And I think at that point, I think he realised that he was in a hiding to nothing. He was never going to be as big as uh, Messi. And like I spoke, to, spoke about in other podcasts, Neymar wanted to be numero uno, didn't he? He wanted to be Ballador winner, the main man. And then I think that at that point, he realised this ain't going to happen here. It doesn't look like it's happened to PSG because Mbappe's come on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. No, I mean, just to conclude that, that's a, I think we did some really good lists there. I mean, your Repsom one, and it's just a great one. Repsom board, so... Oh, I, love that I, I wish I'd put that number one now. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, go, it'll go long, it'll stay in my memory for a long time. Intense pressure now on the Paris Saint Germain defence. It's Neymar trying to feed it through. It's a stretch and it's in. And I can't remember the last time I saw something like this. Extraordinary scenes at the new camp. Sergio Roberto, the substitute. Right then, we'll move on to the socials then. If you've got any questions or if you want to do any of your top five or top tens to us, please feel free to do so. Um, our email address is var at the bar 2020 at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at var at the bar one or Facebook var at the bar. I have actually got a few socials that I wish to go with you guys and just see what you think. I did ask the question a while back. We did a top 10, which Dan threw at us of the best 10 ever footballers. Um, and I got quite a lot of response. So I'll go through the list if that's okay of everyone. Yep. Got, got, got a few and we can have a quick discussion. So we'll start 
off with Chris Kelly, a regular one. He went with Brazilian Ronaldo, Henri, Messi, Maradona, George Best. Good, good five, I would suggest there. Yeah, solid. Then, yeah, I thought so. Um, the Grand Share Podcast, another one of our football podcasts. They went with Cristiano Ronaldo, Pirlo, Ronaldinho, Kaka, and Adriano. Interesting. Adriano, I thought there, but again, got got no issues with that, really. A lot of Brazilians on that list. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, questionable Football Quizzes podcast. That was Ronaldo, Brazilian one. Berbatov, Batistuta, Shevchenko and Maldini. A couple I weren't expecting there, Berbatov. Yeah, I know. But good, good, good strikers. And then I got um, Ross Kilvington. He put Brazilian Ronaldo, Del Piero, Henri, Zidane, and then Peter Lovenkrantz. <laughs> a joke. <laughs> I think I think he's a Rangers supporter. <laughs> <laughs> then we got uh, Jerry Mirios, who put Messi, Ronaldinho, Cristiano Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, and Zidane. Yeah, I'm on with that. Scott, yeah, Scott Ridley um, put Pele, Maradona, Pirlo, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi. A lot of love from Pirlo, isn't there? Hmm, a lot of love for him. Yeah. Um, Duncan Green went Pele, Maradona, uh, Ronaldo. I'm set. I don't know which one. I'm afraid. Messi and Cruyff. First one with Cruyff, I see. Hey, Team Cruyff. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. <laughs> uh, got a couple of more left. Uh, Joe Smith, um, Messi, Ronaldo, Cruyff, Zidane, Maldini. I think that's a firm one, that is, isn't it? Yeah. Good one. Um, Tom Levy has got Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo... Zidane, Ronaldinho, and Brazilian Ronaldo. Yep. A lot of people yep. seem to like Ronaldinho, don't they, as well? And finally, Jim Golden. Um, he said Maradona, Zidane, Cristiano Ronaldo, Bergkamp, and Kenny Dalglish. Yep. Good show. Different, different, but good. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've got. Like I say, we've got, I asked that question, got quite a lot of response from it. So thank you. Please, anyone else with anything else that they want to put, please, like I said, email us, tweet us, or Facebook us. And the addresses, I'll give you them again anyway. That's uh, VAR at the bar 2020 at gmail.com, or Facebook at VAR at the bar, or Twitter VAR at the bar one. Where's Bern Schuster? Wow. No Stanley Matthews either. And... No. No. People don't go back that far. <laughs> Football only started in 92. Right then, Dan. Fantasy Football League. That we've been doing. Fantasy Football. Yes. Yes. I had to wild card. I never wild card this early, but it's just been mad. 
Oh, I feel your pain. <laughs> so uh, I think out of us three, Ant's leading the way. He's in 12th place in our league. Hooray! Yeah, 231 points. And then Chris is in second place out of us three. He's in 29th position overall with 198 points. Now I'm having a woeful time in 37th place with paltry 176 points. So yeah, 51 in the league. Um, up in up in top spot uh, again still is uh, Katada Ahmed, bad boys, 286 points. And he's trailed uh, 285 points by Adam Porter, Deportivo La Coruña. But I want to give a shout out to a uh, team named Johnny Lawrence. Owner of the team is Andy McKinney. But he got uh, 114 points in the last game week. How much? Exactly. So <laughs> last week in his team, he, he had Son with 18 points, Grealish with 24 points, Ollie Watkins with 19 points, and Harry Kane was his captain, so he bagged him 32 points. That incredible game week. <laughs> Fair play. Wow. Okay. Right then, we're now going on to our next segment, which is the Warnock Watch, which I've given to my debut deputy, if I can say my words, Dan. <laughs> With maybe some help from Ant as well. We'll see. Okay, so just to recap on progress, uh, since we last visited Warnock Watch, Middlesbrough got a point away at QPR in a one-all draw, and then they had a 2-1 win at home to Barnsley. So they currently sit 10th position in the Championship. Um, we mentioned last time that Warnock had been suffering from coronavirus. Uh, he's now made a full recovery, which we're all very happy about. And uh, Warnock said that he followed every guideline he possibly could, and he's still unsure of exactly how he caught it. He's been constantly wiping workbenches, washing his hands, wearing a mask wherever he's out, and going around his own house cleaning surfaces two or three times a day. Uh, quote from Warnock, I just started with a little niggly throat. Then I lost my sense of smell and taste. But in the first few days, it was the tiredness that was the main thing. I was absolutely shattered. I wanted to go to sleep every minute of every day. When you get older, you sometimes nap in the afternoon anyway. With this virus, you're just constantly shattered all the time. When I was younger as a player, I used to look at one manager in particular who I remember was really quite overweight. And I thought, if I ever start managing, I don't want my players to see me like that. I like my players to know that I'm training after every session. And then they laugh because I have to wear a headband because I sweat so much. I think it's because of that little bit of extra fitness that I was able to keep coronavirus away from my chest and my lungs. That was so important. Got another quote for Warnock. Um, there was an article in the news recently about uh, Manchester City Chief Executive Ferran Soriano, where he was saying that he would like to see, like the Spanish and German leagues, the English football emulate re- introducing reserve sides into the Football League to develop younger talent. Uh, Neil Warnock was furious when he heard the suggestion that uh, B teams should be in the Championship, League One and League Two. Warnock had to say... Man City reserves in the Championship, the way they played against Leicester, they wouldn't beat my reserves. I wouldn't want to do that. They're the greatest leagues in the world, the Championship, League One, League Two, the towns that are represented, every city, every little town that has a football club. The English Football League is an amazing carry-on. We don't want bloody reserves from Man City or anybody else. Right, Standard Warnock. Yeah. Standard Warnock uh, response, I think, there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, have you got anything to add on to that, mate? Or you? Uh... I had I had sort of two bits. One was um, he was talking about 
fans not been in the stadium and he said that he hopes before he retires that fans will be allowed back in the stadiums because he misses being booed. <laughs> <laughs> and then as I was trying to find a quote, I came across one from a couple of years ago. Um, it was, he was manager of Cardiff and they were playing Huddersfield and David Wagner was doing a press conference and he was taking quite a long time and Warnock wanted to get on the coach and go back to Cardiff. So he just burst into this press conference and was like, right, David, your time's up. It's my turn to talk to the press. <laughs> and while he was there, um, I think Huddersfield were then going to play Sheffield Wednesday in the cup in the week. He's like, you make sure you beat that Wednesday lot in, in the week. You know, I'm cheering on for the Terriers. <laughs> I just found it quite funny. I actually found the footage. It was quite funny. <laughs> it, that reminds me of something I, I, um, that I saw last week. And it was between Cardiff and Wolves. And I think, um, obviously, Warnock's had a bit of a disagreement with the referee, as probably with most games. <laughs> And he's stomping off. And you can see Nuno coming over to him to, to offer his hand. And he goes, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nuno just was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's just, you have to go and see it. If you can see it, it's just quite funny because you think, oh, Nuno's just going to shake his hand. And he just goes, fuck yourself. <laughs> I think actually uh, Nuno went off the pitch first without shaking his hand. So I think that might have incensed Warnock a little bit more. What, is possibly. that what got him a bit agitated? Yeah, I think so. I vaguely remember that. Ah, uh, okay. And then he's gone. Then he went back on to the pitch. To I remember him oh, ranting okay. like, oh. "I don't, I don't know what it's like in Portugal, but over here you shake the hand, no matter what." <laughs> I think that's what uh, got him okay. a bit rattled. <laughs> now that's great. Well done there. That's some good, good uh, quotes there. He's strong in the air, so he isn't only on the line. He tried to come out for process. He is. Uh... <laughs> come in! Come in! Let me have five minutes. All the best with him, lads. Next week, son. I'll be with you, Sheffield Wednesday. Come on, David. Come on, lads. Can you give me any advice? Yeah, I'll tell you after the weekend. You know Neil Support. Not in public. You know Neil Support. Sheffield United. There you go. I know. I know. Come on, the Terriers. Please. Take, uh, speak about all the changes Sheffield Wednesday did today. More than 10 you, you, you deserve to get fined. Uh, 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 and, and today I did again 10 changes. Uh, <laughs> see. Next segment we're doing is top five rituals. Some of mine are curses. Do they count? Curses as well, yeah. yeah Anything to do with... To just touch on that sort of Halloween theme. Right then, I'll start with Ant, as you've asked about curses. <laughs> yeah, so my first one is the mysterious curse of Aaron Ramsey. Whenever he scores, <laughs> a celebrity dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much... Do, do you think that's part of the reason... Do you think that's part of the reason he sort of went off to, to Italy? So the celebrities in the UK get a bit Maybe, of a yeah. Well, it didn't seem to matter when he was in the UK. Celebrities around the world died. <laughs> I wouldn't say, it's probably not really a curse because I think he's got about 80 goals in his career and only 25 celebrities have died. So still not bad numbers. 
since since 2009, uh, he's killed off to name a few: Osama bin Laden, Steve Jobs, Colonel Gaddafi, Whitney Houston, Paul Walker, Robin Williams, uh, Roger Moore, David Bowie, Alan Rickman, Nancy Regan, and Bruce Forsyth. That sounds like a good dinner party. It does. To me. Yeah, it sounds a great dinner party. <laughs> Don't invite Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know what? I'll be honest with you. Because he's he's obviously playing at Juventus uh, for last season and a half. I've just totally forgot about that. But uh, but he got a really a real sticking point, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when people saw him on the on the team sheet, oh my god! Please don't let him score. <laughs> <laughs> I think he scored three goals in, in, in a week once. I think three celebrities did die in a week. <laughs> did you have him on your list at all, Dan? I did, uh, yeah, I did spot him, but um, I've got another one I can slot in instead. Okay, just to mix things up a little bit, I'll just do mine. It, unfortunately, it's not a curse, and it's a, that's a bright start, and I hope yours continue in the same vein. <laughs> My ones. Good, good. Um, the first one I've done really is um, Adrian Mutu. He, obviously, we all know him for his off the field antics, but I, I guess a lot of people didn't know this. I didn't that he wore um, his pants inside out. Did that all throughout his whole career, playing career for <laughs> um, good luck. And yeah, I mean, number one thing, probably not the most comfortable, but. Um, yeah, I, was just, I, I did that one then. I just thought it was quite interesting coming from somebody <laughs> who's quite a unique character anyway, who's no doubt going to be in somebody's good, bad, obscure anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I found, I come across that one where um, he was warned apparently by some witches that an ex-girlfriend had put a curse on him. And his response to that was, I'm not affected by curses because I wear my underpants inside out. I mean, if he blatantly tells people... Yeah, exactly, yeah. Obviously, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Another fact about him, he's been known to put basil leaves in his socks. Oh. I thought you were going to say in his pants, then. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a great fact, there as well. Uh, mm. What have you got for your number number five, five there, Dan? At number five, I've gone for Sergio Goicochea. This was an uh, Argentina goalkeeper who famously featured in the 1990 World Cup. Now, in the quarterfinal stage against Yugoslavia, uh, went to extra time and then penalties. And his interpretation of the rules was that under no circumstances are you allowed to leave the pitch until the match is finished. And unfortunately, he needed to empty his bladder. So he squatted down and <laughs> let it all out prior to the penalty shootout. <laughs> shootout against Yugoslavia. In the semi-finals, it went to penalty shootout against Italy, and he thought he'd try the same thing again because it worked for him in the quarterfinals. So he urinated on the pitch prior to the shootout, and Argentina won again. So because it worked for him, he tried to do it for every single penalty shootout after that. True <laughs> to urinate on the pitch. <laughs> Health and safety issue, I'd assume, but um, fair enough. <laughs> I just hope he's not dehydrated because it just, just doesn't smell nice when it's dehydrated. <laughs> it? I had that one on number four. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll go straight on to my number four then. Um, again, I don't know whether you, 
this one's on your list. So I've got the Lohenblar, Blanc, Fabian Bartes, uh, kissing of Bartes's head before every game as a superstition. Don't I know that's had... it. It's not on my list. No, I've not included this one. Okay, so yeah, this this was it. What Lohenblar did in the 1998 World Cup. He gave a little kiss onto Bartes's head at the kickoff um, before each game, and um, it, it sort of worked because France obviously won the World Cup then, the three 0 win against uh, Brazil in France. Um, they did some quite wacky rituals, the French team in that World Cup as well, um, where they would have each player would sit in exactly the same seat the team bus on the way to games. And also, here's an interesting fact. don't know whether whether this person was big in France at the time, but they listened to Gloria Gaynor's um, I Will Survive in the, the dressing room before each game. Okay. <laughs> but it obviously worked because I won the World Cup. So I'll put that as my number four. What about you then, uh, Dan? What have you got from your number four? Uh, number four, I've gone for Bela Gutzman, the Hungarian coach of Benfica. My number two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk about it later? Uh, yeah, I can do if you want. Yeah. You're going to have nothing to talk about at this rate. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my number three is kind of um, it's kind of a double whammy because it's sort of it's two clubs but both from a similar circumstance. Yeah, um, I think I've got this. <laughs> I'll, tell you what, I'll do this, and you can have uh, Goodman. All right. <laughs> so Birmingham, uh, when they built St Andrews, they built it on a um, Romani gypsy site in 1906, leading to a curse, or uh, well, apparently leading to a curse. And a century of bad luck for the Blues. Their their first game that they ever played there was delayed by snow. And then the end of their first full season, they were relegated. The Second World War, the main stand broke, uh, burnt down. And then in the mid-90s, um, they had to get rid of some con- contaminated waste, which cost a quarter of a million. And then the, the curse ended in 2006, which they were actually relegated again from the Premier League. But five years later, they finally won their first ever trophy against Arsenal uh, similarly Derby when they built their baseball ground uh, they built it on a gypsy site and uh, there was apparently a curse that they would never win the FA Cup and despite reaching six FA Cup semi-finals between 1896 and 1903 including three finals they never managed to win the trophy and the next time they reached the final was 1946 against Charlton uh, and in the build-up to the final, club captain Jack Nicholson, not uh, not not the actor, uh, went to meet the Gypsies in an attempt to lift this curse. And during the match with the score at one all, the ball burst, and many people believe that was the sign of the curse being lifted. And Derby went on to win the match, four-one. Oh. Well, funny you mentioned um, the Birmingham one because that's come aptly onto my what one of the managers did because of that curse. I don't know no, if you know where that. this is going. Yeah, have you got yeah about um, yeah. Harry Fry yeah. by any chance that he tried to 
get rid of the curse by urinating on the four corners. It's almost like I knew we were going to talk about this and left that out of my notes. Obviously. (laughs) It's perfect because that was my number three as well. So it's just come (laughs) perfectly into it. Yeah, so he he did that, didn't he? And um, however it didn't work um, until Barry Friday got sacked and then their fortunes improved when he left the club instead. Well, yeah, he, he took that approach after um, he consulted a psychic. The psychic told him to urinate in every corner of the pitch, and he went along with it. But um, it, initially, it appeared to be working because uh, there was one season where they were they were third position on Boxing Day, which was um, really impressive for Birmingham. But then, yeah, then the curse struck, and they slipped down to fifteenth by the end of the season. <laughs> and then he was sacked. Uh. Dan, was that your number three? That was my number three, yeah. Brilliant. That comes nicely on to your number two, Dan. Well, that's Bella Goodman, so over to you, Dan. Yeah. Okay, Bella Goodman. So, former Hungarian coach, he was coaching Benfica, and he guided Benfica to -to back-to-back European Cups in 1961-1962. Following this... Um, asked for a well-deserved pay rise at Benfica and his request was refused. So Goodman he quits in a huff and declared not in a hundred years from now will Benfica ever be European champion. Now the Portuguese club have reached eight finals since then and they've lost them all and it's widely believed to be because of that curve. Uh, the most recent defeats come in the Europa League in 2013 and 2014. That's quite funny you said that because I remember having a WhatsApp chat with you about this, um, Dan, about the <laughs> new manager. Benfica spent something like 80 odd million on players and they played against um, uh, POAK Salonica in the qualifiers. They lost due to the only player scoring the goal for obviously Salonica was a player they released two days before on a free. <laughs> so the manager came out on the press conference and said, well, obviously this curse is still going on. <laughs> so it's, it's well... Well, if it's 100 guess, years, they'll, they'll be waiting another 40-odd years before they win the cup again. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, oh, the club is still cursed. And it I wasn't the like, manager's fault. It was the curse. No. <laughs> Exactly. Right, yeah, then, uh, so that it comes on to me, isn't it? Um, I've got Giovanni Trapattoni, Italian manager. Yep. Uh, Republic of Ireland manager. He was massively superstitious to the length that in the 2002 World Cup, um, he used to take holy water to matches when he was uh, manager of the Italian national team, he got that supplied by his sister, who happened to be a nun as well. (laughs) Rack your brains back to 2002. There was the game between Italy and South Korea, where Italy scored five goals, but they had them disallowed for various reasons. I think a few were offside and some very questionable um, refereeing decisions. At the time, um, Korea were managed by Gus Hiddink, 
So just fast forward a bit, little bit. Um, so it comes to the draw for the World Cup. I think I'm going to say 2012. He was he was then boss of the Republic of Ireland, and he refused to go due to superstition um, because Gus Hiddink was there there, and obviously he lost, and he thought. The club, he was cursed because of the way that Italy lost that game, that he didn't want to be in the same room as Hiddink. So um, he didn't. He, he was sort of 50-50 on even going to see whether they were going to be drawn together. So I, I think it was quite an interesting um, superstition to have holy water before each game. And unfortunately, it didn't seem to really work for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strange one, that. Um, yeah, Dan, what's your number two there, mate? Well, number two, I've gone for Johan Cruyff. So uh, Cruyff had a superstition where before every game for Ajax, he would go up to one of his teammates, the goalkeeper, Gernt's Baz, and he would slap him on the stomach before kickoff, and then he'd run up to the halfway line and spit his chewing gum out into the opponent's half of the pitch. That was his pre-match ritual every game for Ajax. The 1969 European Cup final, Ajax lost 4 1 to AC Milan, and Cruyff blamed it on the fact that he forgot his chewing gum. What's your number one? Uh, So, my number one is to do with Racing Club in Argentina. Snap. (laughs) I knew you'd have this one, Dan. So in 1967, rival fans broke into the uh, club's ground and buried seven black cats. And at the time, racing club were considered one of the the biggest clubs in in Argentina. Uh, Come the 1970s, they couldn't win a single title. Uh, They were then relegated in 1983. And then over the years, six of the dead bodies were found, but the curse remained because of the seventh one was still missing. In 1998, racing were declared bankrupt. And then a year later, a priest uh, performed an exorcism. Uh, by 2001, new manager Ronaldo Merlo ordered a full search of the stadium. And the last body was finally found. Um, within months, racing had won the 2001 Apertura, the first title since 1966. Was that your number one as well, Dan? Yeah, yeah. Got a few more notes on this. So, um, All right. Back in 1967, uh, when this curse was put on, it was out of bitterness by Independiente fans because Racing, they'd just won their 15th league title. They'd beaten Uruguayan side National in the Copa Libertadores final and they'd just beaten Celtic in the Intercontinental Cup. So Racing were quite literally the best team in the world at that time. So Independiente, they, they were really bitter about it and they broke into their neighbour's ground and they buried those seven cats in the, gal, in the goal mouth. Uh, they're really close by these two grounds. I found out that um, Dundee and Dundee United are the closest two grounds in the world and the second closest are Independiente and Racing. So they're really close rivals. Uh, I jotted down some notes. Uh, on the last day of the 1967 season, so the season that followed uh, the burial of these uh, black cats under one of the goal mouths, uh, Independiente beat Racing 4-0, and that victory clinched them their eighth title. Independiente beat Racing to win the league. 
1970, uh, Racing went through four different coaches. The club was in turmoil on the pitch. 1975, lost 10-0 to Rosario Central. In 1976, finished second bottom, narrowly avoiding relegation. Uh, I noted down that uh, the first time they tried to um, tackle the curse, and they dug up the six cats, it was also a big exorcism performed in the stadium in front of 100,000 fans. So they were actually taking this quite seriously. 100,000 people turned up to an exorcism due to the curse of the club. So nothing about their footballing ability then? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they couldn't believe that. You know, this team had won 15 titles. In that uh, season where they won the league, uh, they were quite—they were quite an unfancied team. They only just got over bankruptcy, and uh, when they won the league, their top scorer that season he got seven goals. So they weren't a very flash team. They had the king of red cards, Gerardo Bedoya, in defence, and um, they thought the curse had actually struck again. Where, with one game to go in the season, they needed a point to be crowned champions, and then the whole of Argentina was plunged into turmoil amid a financial crisis so they're, they're freezing bank accounts of citizens for 12 months and stopping any cash withdrawals and there were wide-scale protests and riots and the the league got suspended they just talk about it being abandoned so, so, so they're worried they're going to miss out on this title again but eventually they, they did play the final result and they got a, a one-all draw in the last game which meant they could win the league sounds a bit like liverpool so exactly i was thinking the same <laughs> It's our curse over you. Just while well, that's happening, that's just incredible, isn't it? Imagine what the fans were feeling at the time. Sounds mad. Right then, I'll go with my one. This is the chairman of Pisa, Romeo Anchontani. Do you know anything about this guy? Is he the dude with the salt? He certainly is, my friend. Yes. Yeah, I read about him, yeah. <laughs> You see, I'm getting a bit of a liking to Pisa. I think I'm going to start following them because we did so. Obviously, the rivalries are, I think I mentioned Pisa. But this guy um, was around in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I think. Massively superstitious. And he had a penchant for throwing salt onto the pitch at the arena Garibaldi, convinced that he would give good luck. It took place, obviously, before every home game. However, if the, the more the important the game, the more salt the chairman has to put onto the pitch, OK? I hope they don't get to a big so, final. <laughs> exactly. A planned desert. <laughs> so, so the ritual took to a whole new dimension when they had a massive match against Sienza in December 1990 where uh, the chairman sprinkled 26 kilograms of salt onto the pitch ahead of the game and inspired Pienza went to beat a certain um, Sienza who was managed by uh, Marcelo Lippi at the time, 3-2. Although it didn't prevent both teams getting <laughs> Serie B for the following <laughs> season. Um, there is another story I have to say about this, um, and that was a couple of seasons before Milan went to play them. Um, this was in the 1988 and 89 season under the manager Jerios uh, Nas of Rigo Saki. Um, at the time, AC had players like uh, 
Rude Hull 8, Marco Van Basten. And um, the chairman ordered his players to visit the hotel and salt the corridors and rooms. <laughs> so basically, when the Milan team woke up, it was basic, all the corridors were basically impass- impassable and it was like a quagmire. Um, unfortunately, they managed to get out of their rooms and um, beat them 2 0. <laughs> anyway, um, but. If you wanted to know, Van Basten got two both goals in that as well. But um, yeah, this guy seemed to think salt was the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. Have we got any special mentions? I can only assume we have. I had the Colo Toure one, but he always had to be the last player to come onto the pitch. And he got in trouble for it because mm. I think William Gallas was getting treatment at half time and he refused to come on until William Gallas came on. And I think he actually he got yellow card for it. He just would not come on. <laughs> you, I mean, just, just moving the subject slightly, did anyone ever hear about Colo Troy's trial at Arsenal? Yeah, was that when he absolutely clattered someone. Yeah, I'll quickly just tell you if you want. I mean, it's totally diverse from the subject, but I just think it's quite funny. Obviously, Wenger saw something in him. He went to, to the training ground and he was asked to mark Burkamp. And um, the ball goes to Burkamp. He absolutely flattens him. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Just stand him up. Don't clatter him. Just, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, sorry, boss. Sorry, boss. Yeah, yeah, I will do so they went, all right, then you mark Henri instead. So guess what happens when Henri goes to get, get the ball? Clatters him, full power, bang. And they're like, no, 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 don't go, don't, don't, don't take him out. And they're like, he's like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. So he's like, like hypothetically taken out two of the main players for Arsenal that could injure, could have injured them. So anyway, there's a 50-50 ball and Arsene Wenger was actually on the pitch at the time and some managers do, you know, pass the ball. And he goes in two-footed onto Arsene Wenger, sends him flying. <laughs> and he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, boss, sorry, boss. And um, from what I gather, um, like Ray Parler actually said like to Arsene Wenger afterwards because Wenger was determined to sort of not sign him because he's only on a trial and goes look we could probably you know it's his trial he's nervous he's obviously hungry and Wenger goes yeah don't worry I was going to sign him anyway and that's how he got got into the Arsenal team Mm. there we go just a little bit of a antidote there guys (laughs) another good the bad the obscure we don't need to do yeah yeah I've done buy one get one free um (laughs) Did you have any other ones, Ant, or did you just uh, stick with Erko? The only, uh, yeah, the only, I had uh, Pele, and he had a lucky shirt, and he gave it to a fan after a game, and then he stopped scoring for a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Um, <laughs> like I said, I didn't make many notes on this. So he, yeah. he ordered his friend to track down the shirt, and the friend went, went and got the shirt, gave it back to him, and he started scoring again. But the friend never got the actual shirt. He just went and bought another one. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant, that is. 
just shows mental. Uh, it's all in their mind. Yeah. And then the only other one I had was one that we mentioned a few weeks ago was um, Brazil-Uruguay. And I said that ever since Uruguay has beaten Brazil, they've felt this is curse yeah. among them. Yeah, that's what I had. What about you, Dan? You got any? Yeah, I got one more. Um, there's this team in Zimbabwe called the Midland Portland Cements. Oh, yeah. I yes, I heard about that. Yeah, I read about that one. <laughs> I didn't yeah, think it was so... much of a curse. I just thought it was stupidity. <laughs> well, it was, but um, it all came about because the coach decided the team was cursed and they needed to cleanse themselves of evil spirits. And the best way to do this was to bathe in the Zambezi River. <laughs> Fortunately, the coach wasn't, a... wasn't aware of the high currents and uh, one of the members of the team got washed away and lost his life, unfortunately. I mean, I've, I've got... Have you got any other ones, sorry, Dan, from that? Or you got... Is that it? No, that's, that's all I've got. Yeah. I mean, I've got just a, li- a little one that, it, you know, we all know about with uh, what Jamie Vardy's put, what he used to do. Um, he decided to drink a glass of port on the eve of every game, the 2015-16 season. He used to fill a small plastic uh, water or Lucasay bottle halfway and sip the port whilst watching television. He says, it tastes like Ribena to me. Helps me switch off and get to sleep a bit more easy before the game. Obviously worked wonders, though, didn't it? So Yeah. Um, and then I... I, no, I can. I, I saw a few other ones, and I think one was Catuso at AC Milan, where he didn't change his t- his shirt. I think so. He wore the same number eight shirt without it being washed. I mean, God knows what he would have stank like. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good little uh, little top five there, guys. Well done with that. Definitely got some odd ones. I just hope that Ramsey doesn't score too many more goals. <laughs> Nicest possible way. I want to see any more of those celebrities going, do we, in these times? Uh, I think COVID would kill off more than uh, Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but in all, all seriousness, no, good, good group there. Good group of uh, picks from us all. Finish off then. It's the quiz time. <laughs> All right. 
So, uh, I don't know what the scores are. Is it just that Dan's winning by lots? <laughs> I think it's 7-3-2. Yeah, so I think I think that sounds about right. Okay. So, so good luck there, Anne. You might need Yeah, I can't it. wait, mate. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So, the first one we've got. So, today there is this 13, of course. Mm, of course. Been <laughs> Question one. Who was crowned League One champions last year? Coventry. One nil Ant. Well done. Okay, so again, we've got this my favourite part of the game where you've got to bet how many clubs you can remember a player to play for. <laughs> okay. Marcus Bent. He's actually played for 15 clubs. And I'll give the start to Dan, the first offer. Five. It's gone five. Six. Can you get seven, do you think, Dan? Uh, I'll try seven. <sighs> okay. Now, and can you do eight? That's over half of his teams that he's played for in his career. Yeah, I'll give it a go. Okay. Fair play to him. Can you go nine, Dan? No, I'll let Ant try it. Go on then, Ant. Just, just to clarify, it's Marcus Bent, isn't it? <laughs> Marcus Bent. That's. I know, I, know they, I know they played for some of the same teams, but uh, Marcus Bent, Ipswich. Yeah. Charlton. Yeah. Um, Birmingham. Yeah. Blackburn. Yeah. You're on to four. Uh, Leicester. One to five. Everton. Six. Two more. Wigan. So you've gone Wigan. You're on to seven, mate. One more. <laughs> um, I can't believe you've got this many, to be honest. I can't. QPR. So you've gone QPR, mate. You're 2-0 up. Well done. Well done, Ant. That was really good. Right then, I'll give you the full list anyway. <laughs> Anyone else that's playing, that's listening. Uh, so we went Brentford, Palace, Port Vale, Sheffield United, Blackburn, Ipswich, Leicester, Everton, Charlton, Wigan, Birmingham, Middlesbrough, QPR, Wolves and Mitra Kumar. If you've got that last one, then you deserve to win the whole thing. <laughs> I've never heard of them. <laughs> I think they're an Indian team. Oh. <laughs> Um, well done there, Ant. So that's 2 0. Right then, fingers on the buzzers, guys. Which Dutch club did Robin van Persie finish his uh, career at? PSV? Uh, no. Bernard. 3 0. Well done, Ant. Storming Star. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number four. Okay, so we're going back to 2007 2008 Premier League season. Derby achieved the lowest points ever. They only managed to win one game that season. Who was that against? Um, Crystal Palace? Uh, no. Fulham? Uh, no. One more guest each. Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, correct. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> Four nil. <laughs> Four nil. the Sundays. <laughs> I'll be honest with you I remember the goal vividly it was like a 25 yarder by um, Kenny Miller 
Uh, I can't believe that's the only game they won the whole season. I, I nearly said Liverpool, but then I remember Liverpool n- Liverpool nearly lost. I think we got a late winner that season. Yeah, I think they drew eight games and they um, won one that season when I was doing my research on that. Incredible. Right then, 4-0. Okay, next question. Last week, striker Carlos Soredo represented which... South American country in a World Cup qualifying match at the ripe old age of 41. Ecuador? Uh, no. Peru? Uh, no. Honduras? Uh, no. Bolivia? 4-1. Well done there, there, Dan. It's amazing. A guy that's 41 years old was playing against Messi and um, Messi and Martinez. I watched Madness, a bit of that match. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see the end bit? Uh, yeah. Where Messi went a little bit mad. <laughs> yeah, he looked a bit frustrated throughout the whole thing, to be honest. Okay, so we've got, I've got here one of Chrissy's old school ones. So I'm going to name you the clubs. What you have to do is name me the player. Simple as. Here we go. A, B, Rangers, Schalke, Schalke's second team, Newcastle. Birmingham. Um, He's actually been mentioned on this podcast. Today? <laughs> today. Oh, God. Somebody put him at the top five. Peter Lovengrens. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Four two. Right then, this is a bit of a new element I'm adding to, to this oh, uh, quiz. Okay. So... What I'm going to say is, I'm going to ask you to name me a lineup from a year, and you go go with one player, and then rotate with one player each until the person doesn't know. All right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm saying the Champions League final, the first eleven for Man United, and I'll go Ant first. What the so just name me a player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. Ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, two thousand and eight. Sorry. Oh right. Okay. Champions League final. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Uh, Edwin Van der Sar. Correct. Yeah. One man of the match in the game. Um, two thousand eight. Who's playing two thousand eight? Uh, Patrice Evra. Yeah. Nemanja Vidic. Yeah. Ferdinand. Yeah. Correct. You all gone defenders. <laughs> Except for Ronaldo. Ryan Giggs? No, sorry, mate. Came on as a sub. So you could have had at the 11, Van der Sar, Wes Brown, Patrice Ever, Rio Fernand, Vidic, Michael Carrick, Paul Scholes, Cristiano Ronaldo, Owen Hargreaves, Carlos Tevez and Mr. Rain Rooney. Right then, so the score is 5-2. Next question. Who is second on the all-time leading scorers list for the French national team? Giroud. 6-2. Well done, Ant. (laughs) I'm glad I watch Sky Sports News sometimes. (laughs) Right then. Here's another another one of our favourite guests. Guess the player from the clubs. Barcelona C. Barcelona B. Barcelona, Villarreal, Liverpool, Napoli, Bayern Munich, Milan, 
Who, Aston Villa. What did you say? Reina. Yep, correct. 6-3. Okay, question 10. Rangers tried to sign which superstar after Alex McLeish was alerted to his ability through popular video game Football Manager? Messi. Correct. <laughs> what? Surely you should have heard <laughs> of him by then. going in tonight, mate, I tell you. <laughs> Some believable tech is tonight. <laughs> That's because we started earlier, I've not had so much wine. <laughs> <laughs> Some three, unbelievable. Right then, here's another one of our favourite um, guess the player. So it is Hollerborgs, Housingborgs, Feyenoord, Celtic, Barcelona. Awesome. Oh, he just beat me. Yeah, well done. Right in there, Dan. Some for Next question. Who is the Champions League top scorer of all time? Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, well done, Dan. Seven five. Right then, the last one is another one of our wager on how many teams you know. This is for Nicholas and Alka. Thirteen teams he's played for, and I'll go with Dan first for his first uh, pick. I'll start with five. Okay, five. Can you go six, Dan? Well, I'll give it a go. I've got nothing to lose. Want it anyway, so go thirteen if you want. <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> I've still not watched that documentary. <laughs> Can you go seven? Do you think, Dan? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a try. Since I've got nothing to lose either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mate. Uh, I'll go eight. A rare defeat. Yeah, guy. Well, I'll go nine. Oh, I think I'd be struggling with nine. Go on. Um... Okay. What about eight and a half? <laughs> <No>? <laughs> What's that? Eight and alone move. <laughs> yeah. He's had plenty of moves, mate. So, um, so right then. Liverpool. So you're going for eight. Okay. Liverpool, yeah. Arsenal. Uh, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah. Bolton. Yeah. Um, PSG. Yeah. Real Madrid. Yeah. Have I said Man City? You haven't. Got one um, more than me. Oh, um, Shanghai thingy rather. It's a newer. I'll tell you something, Dan. We've got to get him not not being so bright. He's <laughs> <laughs> just done it again. <laughs> well done, mate. Got your eight. Depends on the questions. No, well done. Uh, yeah, so it's PSG, Arsenal, Real, Liverpool, Man City, Fenerbahce, Bolton, Chelsea, Shanghai. And he went to Juventus. And he moved on to West Brom and then went to Mumbai FC. I'm glad I didn't go for the full 13. Of, uh... <laughs> no, Mumbai FC would have been one hell of a good guess. <laughs> um, well done there, Ant. Winner this week. Yeah, well done. Yay! <laughs> um, FYI, do the quiz later <laughs> for next week. Um, so, Dan, what have we got next week? Or next episode, sorry. What have we got as our top 10 from any viewers or, sorry, any listeners that wish to contribute can do? Yeah. So, yeah, next week we're going to look at top 10 Premier League goal scorers. So, great if our listeners can uh, send us their top 10s as well. Brilliant. That's great. We might uh, put onto social media our top five as well so we could get them, 
get the people involved as well with that. That'd be great. Keep up all the requests and uh, any questions that we ask, if you can reply back to them. That'd be fantastic. And anyone um, from any of the other countries, let us know. Say hi and just any any other top tens or top fives that you want us to do, just let us know to the email address and Facebook and Twitter. That'd be fantastic. So that's us done then for this episode. So that's me saying bye. See you later. See you next time. Network.